Heavenly Father, as we open up today's service, Lord, we just say thank you. We say thank you, Lord, because there's places around the world where your word is not accessible to them. There's places around the world where when they're not even allowed to have a Bible. There's places where they are not allowed to gather. And Lord, you give us the ability and the opportunity to gather in your name. And Lord, we pray that your name will be glorified in today's service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, afternoon. Good morning, ladies and gents. How's everyone doing? You guys good? Are you sure? Is everyone blessed? All right. Are you ready for today's message? All right. Don't you think our work, praise and worship team really blessed us? Like, I was really blessed. Like, I was there. I was like, I don't need to come up, man. Let's please, let's put hands together for them. I was really, really blessed by you ladies and the team and Femi and Ramon and Cole. So bless you guys and may God continue to use you not only in service, but also in your personal and private lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I'm going to tell you the title of my sermon in a minute, but I want you to quickly um, turn with me to the book of John chapter 15, and I'm going to read from verses 1 through to 8. John 15 verses, sorry, 4 through to 8, forgive me. John 15 verse 4 through to 8, as usual, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. If you're there, say aye. If you're waiting for the screen, say wait a minute. (laughs) All right, cool. John 15 goes as follows. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is a cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and are thrown them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask, and whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. Verse 8. For by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Blessed be the word of the Lord. I love how Jesus always says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. And as I was looking at that, I, it's funny because I changed the title of my sermon. The sermon is the same, but I changed the title of my sermon. And the original title of the sermon is, what are you in? Because Jesus says we should abide in him. And as I began to look at that, I was like, mm, I'm not really too fond of the, the full entirety of the title of the sermon because it didn't really encapsulate everything I wanted to share today when it came to abiding. And the, the areas that I'm really going to be focusing on in today's message is looking at influence, excuses and authority. And as I was thinking of the influence of what, when, you are in, when we are in something, we are influenced by that thing or that person. Right? People sometimes say, oh, you are underneath the influence of alcohol or the influence of drugs or the influence of social media and the like. Or you are underneath the influence of jello fries for those people that see people that eat a particular way. And I know when somebody's underneath the influence of some type of jello fries, when they don't understand that Nigerian jello fries is the best rice. And as you can see, for me to have, look at people shaking their heads. Look at people of God, people of God. But as you can see, even for me to even say that, and to believe that Nigerian jello fries is the best jello fries is because maybe because I have been influenced. See, some people just facts. But let us not start a jello war here in church today because we've got more serious matters to deal with. So therefore, the title of my sermon is called Molded. Influence, Excuses, Authority. Molded. 
influence, excuses, authority. And in that, I want us to, I'm going to jump around a bit and I want us to look at a few things as I've just particularly used John chapter 15 as my base and main scripture of this, of today. Influence, what does it mean? The capacity to have an effect on the character, development or behavior of someone or something. But let's look at somebody that was also influenced in the Bible. Let's look at Eve for a moment. And the, and the influence that took place in her life in a particular time and how that potentially, potentially shapes what we've seen in the world today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through to 13. And I'm going to be jumping from particular verses from Genesis 3, from 1 through to 13. It goes as follows. Now, the serpent was more cunning. Someone say cunning. See, some versions, some versions say the word crafty. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Can you imagine? Has God really said of every tree? You can't eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the tree, sorry, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. I'll pause there. Why is that interesting? Because one thing I've come to learn in life is that truth mixed with a lie is still a lie. But when you mix enough truth with a little bit of a lie, that's where you get deception. That's where you get craftiness, this cunning nature. And what begins to happen? Now Eve, who might have been fully focused on understanding what God said, is now partially focused. And partial obedience is still disobedience. And as we're beginning to see this influence of the enemy through the cunning words that he began to use towards her, begins to see this deceptive nature of the devil come into present play. Verse 5, For God knows the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But God knows the day. And sometimes we need to learn to shut the voice of the enemy before we entertain it for too long. For some people, shutting the voice of the enemy might be things that may lead you astray. Oh, one drink won't harm. Okay, maybe two. Uh, maybe two and a half. Maybe three. Before you know it, you don't realize that sobriety has now been left by the wayside and we're now floating in a space where we have no focus and we now may fall into a place of compromise. But what also happens further down? Look what it tells us in verse 9. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave me, who you gave to me, she gave it to me. She gave me of this tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What have you done? Then the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. God comes to Adam. Adam blames the woman. God comes to the woman, Eve. Eve blames the devil. And it's gone passing on and passing on and passing on. And if the point number one I want to share here is this, excuses could exclude you from fulfilling your calling in Christ. Excuses could exclude you from fulfilling your calling in Christ. They give excuses after excuses. 
See, God made man and woman in whose image? His image. To be molded, to be fashioned into his image. But what happens is that everybody is playing the influence game, including God. To show that I want you to be more like me. Jesus says, "What? be holy for I am holy. He's trying to influence you. He tells the disciples to be like me, to carry your cross, to deny yourselves. And everyone's playing in this influence game and we're beginning to see excuses come into play. Why am I sharing this? Because our excuses can only go so far. If we keep making excuses in our marriages, sometimes our spouse begins to doubt us. If we keep making excuses to our closest family members that have told us to do one or two things that are good for us, and we say, oh, you know what, maybe because of this, then they begin to doubt us. If we keep making excuses in our places of work, sooner or later, there may be a resignation letter. And then we tell people, oh, they didn't like me, I work anyway. Or is it our excuses? Our excuses. Our excuses. But what is also interesting here is that when we begin to look at this thing called excuses, I love what we, be, what we saw in scripture here, where God told them in verse 16 of Genesis 2, it says, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But why am I bringing this up here? Because God in his influence has told us, there's so much for you here. There's so much that you can take here. There's so much that you can enjoy here. But they began to focus on the one thing God said they shouldn't touch. And it begins to show me something when it comes to molding and influence. Is that sometimes many of us are focused on scarcity rather than abundance. Many of us are focused on scarcity rather than abundance. Imani, what do you mean by that? I mean that when you could wake up in the morning, do you start with complaint or do you start with gratitude? Do you start with comparison to others or do you start with saying, God, I thank you for saving my life? Because when you are focused on scarcity, you don't even see the abundance that God has blessed you with. You see the one thing that you wish you can have. There's a quote that says that 100 people can, 99 people can play you compliments, but if one person criticizes you, sometimes our mind is focused on what that one person said than the 99. And until we are trying to in, in tune our minds and train our minds to be focused on gratitude, to be focused on the abundance that God has for us, Things can take over our lives. And that's why point number two is that lusts make us focus on lack over abundance and blessings. Lusts make us focus on lack over abundance and blessings. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And it goes as follows. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. It's not of the Father, but of the world. But we saw that similar pattern in what we read in Genesis 3, verse 6. In Genesis 3, verse 6, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that it was desirable to make one wise, she took of it and ate she also gave it to her husband and he ate when she saw. And what we're seeing here, we're seeing that same pattern. That before you see, your flesh must first desire it. And then we're seeing the lust of the eyes. But why is it the pride of life? Because she, because she remembered what the enemy said, that you might be like God. And for some of us, we need to be mindful of what is influencing us and what is trying to mold us to almost reflect more of what the enemy wants us to be rather than what Christ us wants us to be. What is influencing us? 
many of us lusts make us focus on lack rather than the abundance and the blessings of God. To breathe is abundance. I always say that health is humbling because I'll never forget when I needed a, a minor operation back in January. I was like, oh my days. It was up until I realized I've never been in such pain before. I didn't realize how much we're dependent on our body. Recently, I was having a bit of shoulder pain and I didn't know how much our body, so how much we are dependent on so many body parts up until I needed to change the gearbox. I was like, oh my days, now I need an automatic car. So those of you, those of you guys that have automatic cars, you guys are really enjoying soft life. Because I'm like, I was changing gears, oh my days, I'm feeling the pain here. And we don't realize how much we are dependent with different parts of our body. And this is why it's so important to understand that we must never allow ourselves to be lazy. Because if there's one thing the enemy does, when you're focused on lack, it makes you lazy. It makes you complacent. It makes you think, you know what, I'll do it tomorrow. But lack and laziness is similar to what we see in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. The question I ask you as God is molding you, is he molding you to become more diligent? Or are you more focused on being complacent and saying that maybe it's just going to come my way? Maybe this is just going to happen by chance. And when these things don't come our way, that's what may lead us to complain. And if there's one thing I've always said is that desire without diligence will leave us delusional. Desire without diligence may leave us delusional. And it is vital and it is important that everything that God has placed in us, everything that God has asked us to do, that we must be diligent in that. Otherwise, having those desires that say, I want this, but to not work towards it in faithfulness, in truth and in diligence may still leave us delusional. For some that may still not understand, say, Manny, what do you mean by this? What I'm saying is that, yes, being married doesn't always take a miracle. Some people are in horrible marriages, unfortunately. But having a healthy marriage requires work, requires diligence, requires effort, requires to let go of projection and to now build connection. What I mean by that, to say, you know what, maybe we need to work some things out because some things that's happened in my past, I naturally want to project, but it's for me to have enough self-control to say that, you know what, how do I work on this rather than how do I project in this? And that's why many people, not even many people, let me not put a number on it, but some people may be focused on a one-night event rather than a lifetime of commitment. We must be people that are diligent rather than delusional when it comes to us fulfilling our God-given desires. Point number three, let us not waste our talents. Let us not waste our talents. In Matthew chapter 20 verse, Matthew chapter 25 from verse 20 through to 29, we're looking at a parable of the talents and many of us know, many of us know the parable of the talents and, and it talks about how one person has been given two talents. One person has been given one talent and one person has been given five talents. Then it says the master comes back and the one with five talents says, yes, Lord, look, the five talents you gave me has five more. The one with two talents says, here's the two talents you gave me, here's two more. But the person with one talent gives us a different narrative and a different story. Begins to tell us that. And I'll read for you if you jump down with me to verse 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you had been a hard man reaping where you had not sown, nor gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and I hid my talents in the ground and look, there you have yours. But his Lord answered him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. 
You knew that you reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money into the bankers and that my coming you would have received back, I would have received back with my own interest. Verse 28. So take this talent from him and give it to the one who had 10 talents. Let me pause there for a moment. The reason I find this interesting is that we're seeing that the master gives it to the one that gave 10. So let me ask a question. If I give you two talents and you bring back four, if I give you five talents and you bring back 10, what percentage did you bring back? What percentage do you bring back? 100% or 200%, depending on how well you want to look at the compound interest and what you're bringing back. But it made me think as I began to read this, if they brought back 100% return of what was given to them, as I was reading this, something dawned on me. In 365 days, how many days have I actually put in 100% of 100 days? of the talent that God has given me. I'll say it again. For out of 365 days in the year, have I put in 100% of 100 days of the talents and the gifts and the effort and the things that God has told me to steward and be responsible to? And as I started thinking of that, it made me realize that even out of one third, if my answer is no, that means even one third of the year, I haven't actually maximized the gift, the time and the responsibilities that God has asked me. Therefore, is God gonna tell me the two words that he told the person one talent or the two words that he told the people the two and the five talents? Because those two words were good and faithful to those that brought back a return. And the two words that he used for those that didn't bring back a return was wicked and lazy. When God is molding us, how are you using your time? How are you using your effort? How are you using your talent? Because that point is do not waste your talent. Don't waste your talent. Point number four, as we've looked at influence, excuses, I now want to go on to looking at authority. Authority, man, why do we need authority? Because if there's one thing I've come to learn is that the enemy influences us in order to sabotage and make us look away from the authority that God has given us. Authority, I don't have any form of authority. Oh yes, you do. You just don't know it yet. Because one of the number one areas that the enemy comes to attack is your mind. Because the moment, has anybody here ever seen the enemy pull their arm? Pull your arm? When did he pull your arm? Oh wow, that's another story. We're going to deal with that another time. <laughs> but if there's one thing I've come to see, if I can look at my life specifically, is that the Bible tells us that nobody, no sin, has come, no sin has been done. Nobody has been drawn away by temptation or sin, that one that they cannot escape from. There's a level of authority God has given us. But what the enemy does, he tries to entice, tempt, scheme, woo us into neglecting and forgetting the position and posture that God has put us in in order to pursue certain passions that God says is not part of our purpose. And if we do not align ourselves to understand what this looks like, we may fall victim to making more excuses because of the person that has influenced us. Point number four, authority requires wisdom. Authority requires wisdom. Let's look at Matthew chapter five and I'm gonna read from verse one through to 13. And again, I'll jump through a few scriptures. 
Matthew chapter 25, sorry, verse 1 through to 13. Now the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Verse 2. Now five of them were wise and five of them were... Oh, some of you are awake. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. <laughs> they didn't cream. Verse 4. But the wise took their oil in a vessel with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, someone say delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Let me pause there for a moment. Sometimes in our lives, we've been given either a prophetic word, a prophetic dream, or told by God himself, this is what I have for you to do, and this will come to pass. But the problem is, God doesn't tell us when it's going to come to pass. And guess what we do when it doesn't come to pass? In our time, we also give it a pass. You know what? I don't want to do that anymore. You know what? Maybe this is not for me. You know what? Maybe this is long. And then we begin to look at everybody else's form of abundance. And then we put down what God has called us to do and achieve. And then we try to live that out. And now we're caught between two things. And one thing I remembered in the book of James is that a double-minded woman is unstable in all our ways. God is molding us and preparing us for a season. Sometimes we're so focused on the outcome, God wants us to develop character along the journey. And we begin to see that they slumbered and they slept. And at midnight, a cry, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming out to meet us, to meet him. Let's go out and meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. <laughs> you don't cream, that's your problem. Give us some of your oil for your lamps, are, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, let us, lest there should not be enough for us. And you, but go gather though, um, gather rather, but sorry, go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. Let me pause there for a moment. There is a misconception that to be a good person, you always, you always need to say yes to people. Hey, we're both believers. Come give me some. No, 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 no. No. And there are times, yes, the Bible does say it's more blessed to give than to receive. But you need to be careful that sometimes don't be deceived because some of us are giving the thing that God told you to keep for yourself for a season in time. And the moment you give that away, you may delay the very thing that God has called for you to do. No. But here's what I find interesting. It says, go to those who sell oil. There's a lesson here that maybe the reason why they didn't bring oil because they're too lazy to invest in their own future. Maybe they didn't bring oil because they were too lazy to invest in the oil that they needed. Like, no, the bridegroom's going to come early. But the funny thing is this. We cannot control God's time. We can only be obedient to the time he's told us to be obedient to. We can't control it. Well, God's going to do it in this time. So you know what? Let me ration what I need and let me come with this. No. Be obedient. Have your oil. Because the wise people know that what they invest in, even if it doesn't come to pass, God is one person I know that always keeps his promise. Men lie, women lie, even WhatsApp can lie sometimes, but God doesn't lie at all. God is one that truly keeps his promise. Tell your neighbor, be wise. be wise. The next point I want us to look at is authority requires obedience. Authority requires obedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 28. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 through to 28. So Samuel said, has the Lord, as, as, sorry, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than of fat rams. For rebellion is as sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I'm going to pause there. There are many times when I, let me speak for myself, I haven't been obedient. And every time I'm not obedient, just like a quote from my friend that I love to say, if you pay cheap, you pay twice. I end up paying twice for the ouch. But the funny thing about it, I'm always reminding myself of this scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Emmanuel, remember, obedience is better than sacrifice. Remember, obedience is better than sacrifice. But I never read the verses that follow it. Let's look at those verses again from verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So who has bewitched you for you to be disobedient unto God? Who's bewitched you? Who has influenced a word, a song, a voice, an activity in your life that now your, 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 your view, your discernment is skewed? Now you're more likely to compromise. Is it time? Is it age? Is it a lack of children? Is it bills? Is it debt? Is it inflation? Is it cost of living? Who has bewitched you to take a shortcut? Because the last time I read in scripture, shortcuts is still a long cut. It takes us down the long way road. But you know what? Let's try and finesse it by doing X, Y, and Z. But God says, let's do it this way. And we're seeing it many times when the scholars and the Pharisees and many of them came to Jesus. But Jesus, what about this? What about that? But Jesus, what about Caesar? Yeah, give to Caesar what's Caesar and give to God what is God. Jesus didn't take any shortcuts because he knows that one with God is still a majority. He knows that the only best way to take a shortcut is by trusting in God, where God begins to cut time short in order for you to find fulfillment, but not to do it in your own worldly wisdom because heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom are not the same because sometimes worldly wisdom is witchcraft. I'll say it again. Sometimes worldly wisdom is witchcraft. I'll tell you a brief short story of a dear friend of mine who used to come to me in my old office and she used to ask me one or two questions about her life and her future and what would it look like. And I used to say, relax, don't fret on the future. Sometimes I might bring a little bit of Christianity in there because she wasn't a believer. I'm like, listen, tomorrow has enough worry in itself. Relax, relax, relax. But unfortunately, some of the things I said wasn't enough for her. Then she went to go and meet those people that like to predict your future by reading your palms. And as they begin to read her palm and tell her certain things, some things, how do you know? Like those palm readers, just like the devils themselves, they tell you enough truth, but mixed with a lie. You guys are following. Molded. Influence. Oh, you're going to do this and you're going to marry this sort of man. You're going to, this sort of kid. Yeah, but this might happen to you. And the moment they told her about something that might happen to her, Fear began to grip her. But they told her enough good stuff that might happen. But what she didn't realize, they spoke to her in a way so that she can keep coming back. When you begin to see how the enemy begins to influence you, and you begin to see how rebellion is like witchcraft, you also begin to see, as it says in the latter part of verse 23, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. She was stubborn. I've been stubborn. Some of us have been stubborn. 
And that is like iniquity and idolatry. What does it mean by idolatry? It means by trusting in things higher than you trust in Jesus Christ. That's all it is. Oh yeah, I don't worship idols and all these stones and all this stuff. Yes, you do. Yeah. The moment you put more faith in your finances, that's an idol. The moment you put more faith in your children, that's an idol. The moment you put more, more, more faith and trust in your bay, that's an idol. And these things are idols and we need to be careful of it. Because when we look at authority and it requiring obedience and we're seeing how rebellion works, we can learn from what Jeremiah told us about the potter. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. In verse 3 it goes, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at a will, and the vessel that he made was of clay, was marred. Someone say marred. It was marred in the hand of the potter, and he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. God is our potter. He's molding us. But it was marred. Okay, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change something. I'm going to change something in this. Verse 12. That is hopeless, as I jump down. That is hopeless. So we will walk in according to our own plans. Let me, let me pause there because I know I've jumped from verse, three to, some from verse 3 and 4 down to verse 12. We're now seeing the people of Israel. Jeremiah is telling them what to do. Jeremiah is guiding them like this is how you need to do certain things. And Jeremiah is also telling them that God is prophetically saying that even though you guys are like a marred pot in the potter's hand, he's trying to repair you and restore you, to mold you and influence you to do better, to be better, to perform better and to do things in God's ways. But we're beginning to see a change in their behavior, their mindset and a double down in some of their actions as it told us in verse 12. And they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk in accordance to our own plans and we will, sorry, and we in every one obey dictates of his evil heart. They're going to do things their way. They're going to do their own plans. And I always say, do you want to know one of the most dangerous songs known to mankind? Sang by, I used to think that was an amazing song. That Frank Sinatra song. I did it my way. You see, the enemy is so crafty that he can sing as wonderful as I do, but still deceive you. Because the song sounds like, oh, wow, look how well he sang that. So powerful and bold. Don't worry, Jermaine, I mean, I'm coming for you, don't worry. But what you don't understand is that you're singing it, but deception is not only what you hear, it's how you hear it. And as the enemy begins to point things in your way to make things a bit more palatable for you to feel and enjoy what you don't realize that the thing that seems sweet also has a poison at the core of it. And that core is going to try and become callous to your future. And we need to be mindful. We need to be careful that if we don't learn to be obedient to God, we'll be like these people, the people of Israel, where God is trying to mold us to be better. But for us, we're trying to do things in our own way. Verse 15 of Jeremiah 18 goes as follows. Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths. They've forgotten me. One of the number one things the enemy wants to use as he influences you away from God and to take you away from the authoritative position that God has placed you in is to first forget God and then to entice you with desires that don't align with the will of God for your life. And if we are not careful, 
if we are not careful, we'll do things our way, but unfortunately our way becomes a broad way. And the last time I read the scriptures, the broad way leads to destruction. Which leads me to point number six. Authority requires us to renew our minds. As we are being molded, as we are being influenced, as we've seen how easy it is to make excuses, we can get through all of this if we renew our minds. Romans chapter 12 from verse 1 through to 3 goes as follows. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Whose bodies? Whose bodies? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Notice it says holy and acceptable to God, not to man. Which is your reasonable service? Service? Yes, as a believer, you're called to serve. And as you're called to serve, your number one service is unto God. And bringing yourself as a living sacrifice unto God, being holy, being sacrificial, and presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice is your reasonable service. Another way to put it, that's the bare minimum. That's the beginning foundation of it all. Verse 2. And do not conform to this world. Some versions say don't conform to the patterns of this world. But it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice it doesn't say renewing of your flesh. It doesn't say renewing of your flesh. It tells us to, the scripture tells us to crucify our flesh, to die to the flesh daily, but to renew our mind. But the world is opposite to that. Because the world says, entertain the desires of your flesh. Do what you wish with your flesh. It's your body anyway. It says, but with the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. To prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. But look at verse three for a moment. For I say, for the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. I'll pause there for a moment. There's one major thing when it comes to having authority requires a renewed mind is that we need to be sober-minded. It is very difficult, probably impossible, to fulfill your God-given calling if you're not sober-minded. Sober-minded is more than being drunk with alcohol. It's being drunk with the world. It's being drunk with the things of this world that pull you every time. I had to look at myself sometimes. I'm like, why is it that I wake up in the morning and I, my hand goes to social media? What influence... Can, can, like... There was a, once upon a time, there was no such thing as social media. So why is it now that the first thing is you pick up your phone to check your emails? What has influenced you? Or as the disciples asked once upon a time, who has bewitched you? What has pulled you in such a way that this becomes your first thing to grab or hold on to? That you've made something that might be a blessing, you've now made it an idol. And if we are not careful, the same way God wants to mold us for his glory, if we are not renewing our minds, we won't be able to walk in the authority that God has called us to. And that's what Luke chapter 10 verse 19 wants to illustrate. In Luke chapter 10 verse 19, it says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on the serpents and the scorpions and all of the powers of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing by any means hurt you. The reason why I share that is that as some of us have read that, some of us don't believe it. Some of us straight away, even due to past experience, like, oh, but this hurt me once upon a time. But this happened to me once upon a time. 
But the question is, do you believe in it today? Do you believe in it right now? Or is the enemy still playing a level of influence in your mind and in your life that you do not tap into the full power that God wants you to walk in in order for you to fulfill your true God-given purpose? Because the last time I remember, Jesus told us that we'll do greater works than he will do. That doesn't mean in power, but that might mean in number. Because Jesus, for what he accomplished in three years, and for many of us that have probably been believers for a few years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, what would you do for by the time you get to the gates of heaven for God to say, well done, I'm good and faithful servant? Is it just that, you know what? Yeah, I just kept my salvation. I just stayed in God, kept your salvation. God is keeping us. But the last time I remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what did he tell us in the parable of the talents? Well done, good and faithful servant. God is good, but are you faithful to his goodness? Are you trusting in his goodness? Because it leads me to my last point of the day. And my last point of the day is a brief story and something I want to almost share with everyone that I learned from a scholar called Jad Bird. There's a time when I was in university and there's things I needed to do for one of my business partners at the time. His name is Olu Papaji. If you're listening online, God bless you, my dear brother. Because he doesn't realize this very simple, small conversation he had with me changed my life. My mom and my family was going for a, a turbulent time and season for a good 12 months or so. And every time Olu said, have we done this in business? I'm like, sorry, something's happening, something's happening. He said, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, listen, something's always going to keep happening until you're willing to take action. And it hit me that my excuses are not enough. If my fellow friend in a business proposition could tell me that, what will God tell us at the end of our lives? What words is he gonna say? Well done good and partially faithful, faithful servant? Well done, you yeah, kinda made it? What is he gonna tell us at the end of our lives? Because that leads me to my final point, that every single one of us are called to be priests. Priest? No, not me. I've just come to church. Priest? Not me. I've just come to play geese. Priest? Not me. No, that's not, that's not me. I'm not meant to be a priest or a leader of that. Yeah, every single one of us. If you agree, say aye. If you're not sure, say I'm not sure. Yeah, you better not say anything. Because that leads me to my, in the final scripture of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If I can have that on the board, that'd be great. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation. Who's the chosen generation? Oh, you, oh, you, <laughs> good. Yeah, part one. You are a royal, who? Oh, one person, who? Ouch. Because if Jesus is our high priest, and Jesus said, be holy for I am holy, we are also called to be priests. Oh, but priest, what do you mean? When was the last time you prayed for your colleagues at work? What was the last time you shared a good word with somebody? What was the last time you forgave your enemy? What was the last time you fed the poor? What was the last time you forgave those who persecuted you? What was the last time you shined the light of Christ? What was the last time you understood that because you are influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are molded, fashioned to achieve full purpose, empowered to be given authority to trample over serpents, to say that <laughs> generational curses ended because I am here. Not because I am good, but because God is good in me. 
to say that poverty has ended because I am here. Because God has given me abundance to steward it, not to boast in it. Because finances is a tool to advance his kingdom for his glory. To be a priest, to say that you're, you, you've gone through a heartbreak. Here's a hug for you. Let's pray. Here's a listening ear for you. Let's pray. Here's a shoulder for you. Let's pray. For whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Because the enemy is truly come to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus Christ has come to give us life and life more abundantly. But we can only maintain abundant life when we understand the authority he's given us to maintain it. And that's why I said, what are you in? What influences you? Who do you abide in? For if you abide in me and I abide in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit of itself unless they abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am divine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. And today I want us to say, let's end the year by not only doing something, by doing great things for God. And we could do great things for God when we abide in him from his influence, without excuse, with his authority for his glory. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for making us new every morning. I thank you, O oh Lord, because you have reminded us, Lord, that we should not put new wine in old wide skins, for the old has passed away. And Lord, I pray that the old vessel, the old pot that we once was, we've placed that to a side and we're willing to be open and vulnerable in the potter's hand to make us new to make us worthy, to make us a vessel that is purposeful for your glory. Father, Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that every single one of us will be open to listen to your still small voice, to trust in your timing, to remember that you're a God that keeps his promise. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And as every head is bowed and every eye is closed,